But uh, let's talk about um, where we are in the book of Acts. The early church has started. Jesus has ascended to heaven, and he has given a mission to his church, to the early disciples. Go ye therefore into all the earth um, and preach the gospel. And there to do it, to be his witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. That is, the gospel message is not to be confined, but it is to grow. Everyone is to hear this message of life. And so on the day of Pentecost, uh, when the Holy Spirit comes as is promised, uh, the church begins. And it begins growing. 3,000 souls were added that day, the Bible says. And, and uh, the apostles keep preaching. Uh, they face opposition, they face persecution, they face uh, turmoils external but also internal. Uh, we saw where Ananias and Sapphira, they tried to lie to the church and in so doing they lied to the Holy Spirit. And then we see, uh, we saw last week in Acts chapter 6, the first part of it, uh, the, the first major, major obstacle, even though all these other obstacles, uh, Satan was trying to throw things at the church, trying to stop them, slow them down. But the first thing that, that really it looks like it could have actually slowed the church was some internal uh, discontent in the church. And it was an issue over um, the widows being taken care of, and specifically the widows from the Hebrew-speaking people and the Jewish-speaking people. And so they, um, the apostles had a plan, and they put that plan forth to the people, and the people accepted that plan, and the church continued to grow, the Bible tells us. Uh, as that, that issue that had arisen, uh, it was overcome, that challenge was met. Part of that plan was to select seven men, seven men full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And of those seven men, the first that was listed was a man named Stephen. And we're going to see that these seven men were very important in the life of the early church, especially uh, Stephen and Philip. And we'll see them as we walk through the book of Acts. But today, specifically, and actually for the next two weeks, for three weeks, we're going to look at the life of Stephen. If your name is Stephen, if it's your first name, middle name, you've got a, a friend or a family member named Stephen, you need to know that's a great name. Because Stephen was one of the heroes of the early church. And we don't really talk a lot about him. We don't know a lot about him, but there's so much to him that we need to know because his life impacted eternity. His life changed, and, and the, the, the flow, and, and the way that the, the Holy Spirit spread and the gospel spread uh, to the whole world. And so we're going to look at uh, Stephen in three parts. Today we're going to look at what Stephen did. Then next week we're going to look at what Stephen said, his message that is recorded. And then finally, that next week, we'll look at uh, Stephen's legacy. How did he, his legacy, his life impact and change this world forever? So as we read today, um, we're looking at what Stephen did, how his life, what were his actions in his life. Stand with me, please, as we read Acts chapter 6, beginning in verse 8. Stephen a man full of God's grace and power, performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. But one day, some men from the synagogue of freed slaves, as it was called, started to debate with him. They were Jews from Cyrene, Alexandria, Cilicia, and the province of Asia. None of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen spoke. 
So they persuaded some men to lie about Stephen, saying, We heard him blaspheme Moses and even God. This roused the people, the elders and the teachers of the religious law. So they arrested Stephen and brought him before the high council. The lying witnesses said, This man is always speaking against the holy temple and against the law of Moses. We have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy the temple and change the customs Moses handed down to us. At this point, everyone in the high council stared at Stephen because his face became as bright as an angel's. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we thank you so much for the life of Stephen that you have revealed in your word. God, we pray that you would take um, his life, and specifically today, uh, his actions. And Father, that we will um, use them in our lives, that we would incorporate them. We'd be more like him so that we could be more like Jesus. May your spirit work among us to teach us, to comfort us, to convict us, to do whatever you need to do to make us more like Jesus. And it's the name of our Savior we pray. Amen. Be seated. What did Jesus do? Or what did Stephen do? And specifically, I thought about that. We often talk about what did Jesus do, but what did, what did Stephen do? One of his followers do. Three main things I see Stephen doing in this this passage that tell us about how we should live, how we should act. The first is that Stephen didn't settle. Stephen didn't settle. Many of us as Christians, as believers, uh, we settle for less than God's best for our life. Many people say, well, I've accepted Jesus. I've asked him to forgive me of my sins. And, um, you know, I talk to him sometimes, I pray sometimes, I go to church sometimes, I, I give sometimes, and, and we talk a, a lot about things that we do sometimes when it's convenient, when we feel like it, when we, when we want to do it. In other words, we like a little bit of Jesus just too much, not too much. We like our Jesus in moderation. We, we like to have uh, just as much of Jesus, just as much of God as, as pleases us, but we really don't want all that much. We want to make sure we're not going to the bad place. We want to make sure as we, as a choir sang about that, that we have a home in heaven we can look forward to. We want to have a loving church family uh, that we can count on in times of need. But so often we just don't really want too much. We don't want to be called fanatics. We don't want to be, you know, going overboard or anything. Just give me a little Jesus and that's fine for me. And people don't go out, uh, say that out loud. But that's what their lives uh, show, the way they live. And Stephen rejected that kind of thinking. When you look at him and the way he's talked about in Scripture, you'll see that everything for him was full out, all all on, all in for God. When he was introduced um, earlier in chapter 6, last week's lesson, we said the apostles told the people, pick men Seven men who are full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. 
It's very interesting that they would do that because we often misunderstand these seven men that they pick. We look at them like they were um, <clears throat> seven guys who are going on a food distribution committee or something. And if that's the case, if that's what it was, I mean, why didn't they just say, well, pick seven guys who've got a little bit of logistics and business knowledge and, and know a little bit about food service and, and, and get them together. But that wasn't what the apostles were doing. Yes, they were dealing with a problem with, with food getting to widows. But they were looking for a whole other set of leaders. And we talked about last week that, that the apostles and most of the early Christians, they were all uh, Hebrew Jews. That is, they grew up there in Jerusalem, Hebrew or Aramaic, which was a form of it, was their main language. But there was this whole other group of Jews that were Greek-speaking Jews. And, and they had lived in other places, and they had moved back home. It's kind of like going to Miami when you retire. I mean, that's what these people were doing. And, and, and they were Jews, but they had this whole different culture. And these seven men that were um, brought in, they were part of those Greek-speaking Jews. And the Bible says they were full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, all seven of them. But then you get down to the list of the seven men's names. And when you get there in Acts chapter 6, verse 5, it says, Everyone liked this idea, and they chose the following. What's the first name? Stephen. And it says, A man full of faith. And the Holy Spirit. We've already been told that he's full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom. And now Luke just has to go ahead and add and say a little bit more about him. He's full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Then when we get to our passage today. In verse 8. Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power. In other words, Stephen had a relationship with God. By the way, that didn't just start. He didn't just get selected by the apostles. Oh, we laid hands on you, and now you're going to start being this super Christian. You see, the apostles told the congregation, they said, look for seven men who are already full of the Holy Spirit. They're not going to all of a sudden start acting nice because they're in a place of leadership. We're going to put them in a place of leadership because they're already full of Jesus. They're full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. We learned that he was full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, full of faith, full of grace, full of God's power. Stephen said, I don't want halfway on any of this. I don't want a little bit of Jesus. I don't want a little bit of the Spirit. I don't want a little bit of Christianity. I want all that God has for me. Is that what you want for your life? If I said, hey, after today, uh, come by and sign a list, and we're going to have a little pastor counseling session and each of you are going to find a place next week to come see me in my office and we're going to talk and, and there's a private interview and I say now do you want all of Jesus do you want everything that he has for you do you really and you're looking me in the eye what would be your honest answer Stephen changed the world because he was full he didn't settle for halfway. He wanted all that God had for him. Stephen didn't settle. And secondly, we see that Stephen didn't run. Stephen had this amazing ministry. I remember I told you, he was kind of a part of a different set of Jews. They were all Jews, but these were more Hebrew-speaking, the local folks. And these were the folks that had lived all over the Roman Empire these Greek-speaking Jews, and they had moved back to retire, and, and, and they were Jewish, but 
you know, just kind of a different culture, a different place. So the apostles, they were going to the temple every day. Yes, they met in homes and they fellowshiped, but, but they were going to the temple. And they had this corner of the temple that, that they were ministering out of. And remember, we said the temple was dozens of acres, this huge place. And, and they had a place, the apostles and the early Christians, and they did their ministry. And, and they preached and they taught, and, and that offended some of the temple officials. But Stephen said the apostles were doing a great ministry there. I, I don't have to double up on that ministry. What he did is he went to his own people. He went to the synagogues the religious gathering places for these transplanted Jews, these Greek-speaking Jews. He started teaching and preaching God's word. And the Bible says God's power was upon him, and he was doing great miracles, signs, and wonders. People were trusting Christ. It was evident that I was at work. And there were some people that didn't like this. Their name specifically was Synagogue of the Freedmen. And that is, so we know that these folks had lived in different parts of the Roman Empire, and they had actually served as slaves, and they had bought their way out of slavery, and they said, I'm coming home to my true home. I'm coming back to the Holy Land, to Israel. And they had settled there, and they ran in circles. They, they went to a synagogue with other folks that were a lot like them. And he started, uh, Stephen started preaching to these folks. And then some of them didn't like it. They didn't like it at all. And the Bible says that they began to argue with him. And they be, you know, Stephen, and it's interesting to, to note this, to point it out. Stephen didn't start fights. He was just telling the good news. He was just sharing God's love and, and how he was working. But the Bible says they argued with him. They started an argument. But guess what? They couldn't stand against him. Their arguments failed because he spoke with power full of the Holy Spirit. God had given him the words to say, and he was speaking the truth. And the truth was prevailing. And so they couldn't stand up against these arguments. And so they said, hmm, we don't like this, and our next step is going to start lying about him. We're going to slander. We're going to create some false witnesses to, to whip up stories and lies about him. And that was the next step, and that didn't stop Peter. Even though they started lying about him, slandering about him, he kept on preaching the truth. Even though he was argued with, even though he was lied about, he kept on preaching. And finally, they whipped up a frenzy of people with all these lies told about him, saying he's a blasphemer, he's irreligious, he's destroying our country. And they get him in front of the, they go and seize him physically, and they put him before the high council. And there these false witnesses tell lies about him. Now, isn't it ironic that this synagogue, these folks who call themselves the synagogue of the free men, yet they are in bondage to their own traditions. Yet they are enslaved to their old ideas about the way that God should work, and they've put him in a box. And Jesus doesn't fit into the way that they see God working. And so they cannot believe what Stephen is saying about Jesus and about God, how God has sent the Messiah. So these freedmen are really slaves to their old traditions, their old ways of doing things. And here they are, once again, they're the people who say, we love God and we follow his commands, and yet they've broken one of the big ones, one of the big ten that says, thou shalt not bear false witness. Because they've put before 
uh, they've put them, Stephen before the high council, the Sanhedrin, with false witnesses testifying against him. What I love about Stephen is he doesn't run. He doesn't quit. He doesn't roll over just because life gets hard. He doesn't say, wow, I'm just in this position of leadership, and now everything ought to go smooth sailing because I'm really serving you, God. He starts getting opposed, slandered, and even falsely put on trial. And we know ultimately he'll pay the price of his life for his faith in Jesus Christ. But Stephen doesn't quit. He doesn't run away at the first sign of danger. What about you? It's easy for all of us to serve God when life is going well, when things are going our way. Praise Him. Yes, God, you're good. Thank you. I've got a great family. Job's good. Health's good. You're good, God. But it's a lot harder to say, my job stinks, and, and uh, my family is in trouble, and my finances aren't doing too well, and, and I got this health problem. But you're good, God. And I'm going to keep serving you. Even though all this stuff around me is a mess, although I'm in a lot of trouble and difficulty and hardship, God, I know you're good, and I'm going to keep serving you. See, that's what Stephen did. Stephen didn't settle. Stephen didn't run. But what Stephen did do was he shined. He shined brightly. I love this passage. There they have him on trial before all the Sanhedrin, the full council of the Jews. And all these false test witnesses are, are slandering, they're lying, they're trying to stir up uh, the council to sentence him to death. And for all they say, as soon as they quit talking, everybody looks at Stephen and they just stare at him in utter amazement. Because the Bible says that he has a face like an angel. Now let me tell you, that doesn't mean, oh my goodness, he's so handsome, we can't stop looking at him. But look at that bone structure, get him a modeling contract now. No, that's not what they meant when they said he had a face like an angel. You see, the Bible tells us that those who enter into God's presence... They shine as a reflection of God's goodness and glory in their life. We see this in the Old Testament when Moses receives the law on Sinai and he comes down. And the Bible says his face was glowing because he'd been in the presence of an almighty God. And the people of Israel, actually, they're like, that is too bright. And they didn't have sunglasses back then, so they said, you've got to cover your face because we can't take it. It's too bright. Of course, the angels of God, when they're not out performing duties for him, they stand in his presence. And so when they looked at Stephen, the Bible says his face shone like an angel. It was the light of God shining in him. You see, this wasn't about Stephen. Unlike a lot of people in all kind of fields, and unfortunately even in the church world, 
who make things all about themselves. And, and even as they're doing good, they're doing it to promote themselves and their own kingdom. This wasn't about Stephen. This was all about God. It was all about his glory. And the glory of God was shining through him. I was in, uh, in Walmart earlier this week. And um, I know y'all, a moment of silence to pity me, right? That's a, that's a tough place to go. And, uh, <clears throat> but I was in there walking in, and I noticed, you know, when you walk in, they've always got something stuck right in the middle there for you to look at to advertise something. And, and uh, I guess this must be Disney Movie Sunday or something, because I saw there they had Beauty and the Beast, 25th anniversary uh, Blu-ray special edition. And I'm like, yeah, because the VHS and the DVD and the first edition Blu-ray weren't enough for all of us. We need to go out and, you know, buy another edition of this, the 25th anniversary. Disney's great at selling you the same movie over and over and over, right? And so uh, I got to thinking about that. And, you know, the story is of this young man who uh, there was no love in his heart. And so he was put under a curse. He was transformed into this beast. And his only hope is to fall in love and then to convince someone to love him in return. And we know the story that a young woman ends up there, stumbles into the castle by a series of events, and, and eventually, you know, he kind of calms down a little bit, and, you know, and she learns to appreciate him. In the very end, he's saved. He's changed the love that he has for her and she has for him transforms him and so all this the music starts playing and he starts twirling around and light beams start shooting out of his fingers and toes and and this big transformation starts to happen and ah there he is the prince all along that was trapped inside this hideous beast you know you and I are all under a curse the curse of sin. It's not a curse that happened to us as teenagers, although that curse can sometimes show out at teenager or terrible twos. At times that curse is more obvious, but we were born into that. We inherited a sin nature, and all of us, soon enough, we commit our own sin. We, we actually grab onto that sin identity. We all rebel against God. And we're under a curse, and we've lived with that curse for so long that some of us deny it. We think it's natural and normal, and we don't even know that we're under a curse. And that curse can only be broken by love as well. But it's not that we learn to love. That we're the first to love, and someone loves us back. It's that we learn to receive and accept salvation from that one who loved us, while we were yet sinners. We didn't shape up. We didn't calm down. We didn't get a little bit better so that we could be loved. The Bible says while we were yet sinners. We were full on beast. God looked at us in all of our sin and selfishness. And all the ugliness of our life. And yet he died for us. And he offered us a chance. To accept him to trust in him, to believe in him. And when we do, the Bible says Jesus hung on a tree for us. He was under a curse. He took our curse so that we might have life. 
when we do, you and I are transformed as well, the Bible says. We're changed. But here's the interesting thing. It doesn't happen in five seconds with a bunch of lights and all kinds of, you know, pretty animation and stuff. We're changed on the inside. We've given, we're given a new nature. But that is the beginning of the transformation that will, cult, uh, that will ultimately uh, be finished one day when we see Jesus. And so here we are. We've got the new nature, but we live in this body, and the, the beast still comes out sometimes, right? It rears its ugly head because we're, we're still dealing with it. But as we're transformed moment by moment, that can be very slow if we fight against it, if we ignore God's spirit and his power. But the Bible says you and I can cooperate with him. We can work with God. And that process can go faster. And we can become more and more like Jesus the more we draw close to him, the more we seek after him. And when we do that, sometimes, just sometimes, people will get a glimpse of Jesus shining through us. The brightness of our lives will attract a watching world when they, they see something a little different because Jesus is changing us. That's what those people saw in Stephen that day. How do you live? I hope my goal for myself, and I hope the goal for you as well, is that I can be like Stephen by not settling. I've done too much of that in my life. I think all of us have, if we're honest. We've settled a lot of time for less than God's best in our lives. To not settle, to not run away or quit when times get tough, but to simply let Jesus shine through us as we're learning to accept his love and to love him more and more. Would you bow with me? Father God, you are so good to us. Lord, we can't even begin to earn our own salvation. We can't begin to do anything to dig ourselves out of what we've been under. Lord, all we can simply do is to surrender to your love, to allow you, God, to work in us, to change us, and Lord, I just pray that we wouldn't settle. God, I pray that we wouldn't falter when life starts to go in a way that's not our own. But God, we would simply stand for you and we would allow you to shine through us. Lord, bless this time of commitment now as we have an opportunity to make decisions to recommit ourselves to you, to let go of a sin that we've been holding on to, to say yes to something we've been saying no to. Father, whatever it is that you're doing in our lives, I pray that we would meet you right now. In Jesus' name I ask, amen.